It's game week. B.J. Bennett is excited. Look at the smile on his face, ear to ear, as college football. I know it was, it was sort of back this week, this past weekend, but it is really, like, for real back this week. Starting on Thursday, then you got Friday, then you got Saturday, then you got some more on Sunday, then you got another one on Monday, and then it's just a short week, I don't know, whatever, Wednesday night action starts, I don't know, but... Uh, it's just a short turnaround until you get back to those Thursday day games again, BJ. But we made it. College football in mass back this week. Got our appetites wet this past weekend, and then we get the whole buffet this weekend. No, you're right. Uh, college football is here. It was great to see some of the games over the weekend. Uh, you look ahead, as you said, you have an extended weekend coming up for week one, from week zero to week one. Uh, you're going to have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, going into Monday with uh, Ole Miss and Louisville playing uh, in the state of Georgia. But, but, but yes. Hold on. I a point of order here, because you and I were talking about this before the show. Christian corrected me. We have football starting on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Who is it? UAB and who? Jacksonville State. Well, you have got to get fired up for UAB Jacksonville State. Well, yo, easy. <laughs> I'm being no, serious. Man, no, 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 no. Listen, Christian's right. All these games are great. Uh, you know, you, you had some uh, really captivating games over the weekend. UCLA looked really good against Hawaii. Define UCLA now captivating because there are some absolute just blowouts. No, but I'm saying UCLA, that game, I think, made what's upcoming a lot more interesting because uh, people, when they fair. first saw the LSU-UCLA game, thought, oh, well, that's going to be a blowout probably. And now I think people are paying more attention to that game. You had a Brett Bielema and, and Illinois beat Nebraska, uh, and that's probably more of a bad thing for Nebraska oh, than yeah. a good thing for Illinois, especially with uh, Scott Frost. It was also really cool to see uh, the HBCU showcase. That was a big win for North Carolina Central over Alcorn State. And, guys, we were talking about this in the show meeting, but uh, the undefeated put out an HBCU football player watch list, had D'Angelo Durham, Savannah State's running back number two. Christian, I know that's a guy you've talked about a lot. Oh, yeah. uh, Savannah, Savannah State plays Valdosta State this weekend. And then you look at the full week. I mean, this is an awesome time to be a football fan. Kevin, you're not excited for the Montgomery kickoff? Of course. Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. ESPN, UAB, Jacksonville State. Of course I'm excited. Coach Clark there, UAB's done a great job revitalizing the program. They tried to kill that program. They did, and he he brought it back, kept it going, and uh, always a a heartwarming story when you see that. But it was a full week of football. Christian is already on a Monday, BJ. Been insufferable. It's like college football, college football, college football. Going. It's is like, that don't insufferable? Talk. No, I'm saying, but is like, I can't ask you about anything. I can't. I'm, I'm like, hey, what about this? Like, hey, man, college football. Right. I'm like, I got it. I got it, but what about segment three on the show? Yeah. Let's talk about no, college football. College football. Anyway, go ahead. You had, you had something you wanted to get off of your chest. Well, you want to talk about you want to talk about insufferable. Uh, I just wanted to bring back this classic <laughs> uh, for the for the fans. Uh, maybe if you haven't heard it before, uh, no one gets you quite as hyped as Kevin Thomas does. And no, this, you did, no, we're not no, playing yeah, this. And this no, was we're Kevin, not doing this. And this was Kevin before. We're not, do, no, before we're not doing it. A playoff football game that he was about to call. <laughs> no one be, gets more hype than Kevin. I can't listen to this. Can't listen to this. Can't listen to this. Can't listen Chopped out of bounds, deep in Irish two, and up and over Nick McLeod. 
gosh that's ruined me for kevin, today kevin uh, kevin kevin i wasn't quite ready i wasn't quite ready now i'm ready now i'm ready look college football is back college football's here now christian thank you no kevin, i mean people thank you. of course kevin thank you we've had people that have called if people want to know the real story why cody doesn't work here anymore then <laughs> i'm just kidding love you cody queen but no uh, look that that was all born out of and i forgot with cody that any mic is a hot mic so we were sitting there. This uh, Christian was there. I don't know if he was in the studio, uh, uh, up in the booth at that point, but we were sitting at the— I was not. I had gone down to get pictures. So they, you were up there in the booth we're, by yourself. We were up in a booth at uh, at, Clinch County, at Clinch County Stadium getting ready to do Clinch County and Jenkins in the, uh, in the, state, cha- in the state semifinals. So it was for the right to go to the, the state championship game. So Cody sends me a message. He goes, hey, we're ready to mic check. And, you know, I, being who I am, I'm like, it's just boring to do like one, two, three, one, two, three. So I was like— what can I do that's just something different? Because Cody's like, hey, when you get excited, you get louder and all that. You know, all the stuff that, that happens. So he's like, I need you to do levels. and So don't just go test one, two, three. Because, BJ, you know this. Whenever you ask somebody to mic check that doesn't overdo it, they're like, test one, two, one, two, one, two. And then they get ready to read or do play-by-play. They're like, oh, they start screaming. And you're like, okay. So Cody's like, give me a bunch of levels. So I'm like, why can't you just say one, two, three, one, two, three? So I just did what they were doing on the field. So, like, when I was like, here we go, they had come together in the circle, jumping around, getting hyped up. Uh, you know, obviously, touch your toes, do your jumping jacks so as they were warming up on the field. I was, that's all I was doing. They were playing music over the stadium, so I was kind of doing it to that. And then Cody remixed dude, it with dude, Christian. that's your job as a play-by-play man is to give the listener the, the, the exact kind of play-by-play of what's happening. And you did that there with a musical beat. You did it with energy. <laughs> you did it with intensity. That was special, man. That was well done. 
No, but well, all that was put together post fact, but I should have known better. All right, that's enough of that. Jumping jacks, touch your toes, touch your toes. Everybody come and clap it up now. Oh my god. Which if you were me, I know we really want to talk football, but but this is sending us off the rails. If you were me, BJ, which would you find more embarrassing? That or the 34 and a half yard 40 that obviously somebody There's has archived some, embarrassing about that. that somebody has archived and keeps bringing it back up like every blue moon it's like hey watch kevin look like an idiot running a 40 yard dash which would be more embarrassing to they're you they're both they're both beautiful no, they're, not. they're both they're both celebratory they're both something that that everybody looks forward to that everybody appreciates that gets you fired up get you ready to go like i said with this i mean the 40 yard dash you had the run for redemption and people don't necessarily know that story and they don't need to the sequel's never the first is good. chapter of the book is so good if the first chapter of the book is the best you don't need another chapter so so that's what that was and then christian this i guarantee you at tailgates ahead of games this weekend and during the week with the weekly <laughs> schedule if we put that available for download you will have people rocking that at tailgates just touch your toes I haven't seen a lot of people at tailgates being able to touch their toes and do their jumping jacks <laughs> well they that should. might that might lead to uh, more internet trends of people falling over and, and things of that nature i don't know we do have actual football to talk about shall we Christian, I, I mean, Christian, I, you have been waiting literally for three months to say it's game week for Georgia Clemson. So, like, and and so, come on, lay it on us. How are you feeling here on a Monday? I'm just locked in. I know in, second you down, know? you just did that, but come on, Kevin. We gotta take this one day at a time. All right. No, I don't want coach. We can't. Speak. We can't win on Saturday. I on want. Monday. I want All Christian right? Gokel. I have to sit in my house by myself on my couch oh, with the doors true. locked, so nobody bothers me. Breakdown of the game. Like psychopath Christian Gokel, don't even look at me you know what while most, the game you know is what I'm on. Most excited That's what for? I want. You know what I'm most excited for is my first high five with my dog. Like for those of you who don't know, I have a black lab, and she knows how to give high fives. And so after Georgia scores touchdowns, and I get a little amped up, or there's like a big sack or something like that, she'll come and she'll give me a paw. So I'm I'm excited for that first high five. But yeah. It's going to have to be by myself. And I'm, I'm really happy, Kevin, because I do my show with someone else who is apparently just like me. Cam has to watch Georgia games by himself. Yeah. It well, don't matter, what, about, it don't matter by you yourself. In the, uh, when you talk about the personalities on the shows, I mean, Ben can't watch Florida. No, it's a sickness. Florida plays, There's something wrong Florida with Florida plays them. FAU this weekend. He can't watch it. So, Christian, if the game is going poorly, and I'm not anticipating a blowout, but do you stick with it? Are you a fan that stays to the end? Um, yeah, if it's, if, it's a, if it's a blowout, then yeah, I'm still watching. I might start then clicking over to some other stuff and like watching some LSU and UCLA while that's going on. But yeah, I'm watching. I'm going to try to watch as many snaps as possible. I mean, you know, it's, it's my job. I got to come in here and talk about it. There's, 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 uh, listen, you only get what, 12 guaranteed a year? Yep. I'm going to consume as much of it as possible. And this obviously a huge one. I, I would say this is. The storyline of the week, though, BJ, right? Because whether you think it is or not, you have two top five teams. Playoff potentially on the line for Clemson. Probably not for Georgia, but you still have maybe, at worst case scenario, a playoff potential preview uh, in this ballgame. There's not another matchup save maybe Miami and Alabama, and that's only that if Miami somehow pulls off an upset. But this is the game of the week in week one of college football. 
it's one of the most heralded and 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 anticipated openers that I can remember. And I know that uh, years back when Florida State played uh, uh, played Alabama, they they coined that the the goat, right? The greatest opener of all time. And I think even with that game, you anticipated Alabama would win, whether it was close or not, or whatever. With all due respect to everything Florida State had accomplished with a national championship, et cetera, you looked at Alabama and felt like, yeah, they're probably going to win. I think there's a sense that this game is going to be more competitive. There's a, if you were to poll fans, and I've run a couple on Southern Pigskin, Clemson might be a slight favorite, but it's like 55 to 60% of the audience thinks Clemson's going to win. Whereas going back to Florida State, Alabama, I think it was probably 75, 80 for Alabama. So, I mean, if you want to ask me to rank openers, uh, during my career, I, I I think this is right up there because we've heard some pundits say right, wrong, indifferent. Maybe it's fair, maybe it's not. But if Clemson loses, they're done. You're talking about a team that's made seven straight college football playoff appearances. If they lose in week one to a top five team, they're done. And then for Georgia, if you lose, you got to win win out. That means beating somebody in the SEC championship game, probably Alabama. Uh, the impact is going to be felt in the rankings right away. I think the perception is going to be uh, probably exaggerated regardless of what happens. If, 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 if Georgia loses, see, they can't win the big one, which, of course, is absurd. They've won the Rose Bowl. They've won SEC championships in recent years. Uh, so whatever happens is going to prompt a response that is exaggerated. But, Kevin, for me, this might be the best opener that I can remember in my time covering the sport. And you got two high-profile quarterbacks already, JT Daniels, DJU. Uh, both with some limited playing time at their respective schools. But is that, is that here on a Monday and a number of keys you could go to, is that the biggest key to the game right now is whichever one of those two guys makes the fewest mistakes, they'll probably win. I think that's where the spotlight is. And, you know, it seems silly to be talking Heisman Trophy this time of year, but the winner will probably emerge as one of the early favorites for the Heisman Trophy. For me, Kevin, though, I'm looking at the line of scrimmage. You think about Clemson's defensive line. You think about Georgia's defensive line. I think both teams have some relative questions in the trenches, but both defensive lines, defensive fronts with Georgia running the 3-4 are so elite. To me, yes, it's of course about JT Daniels and DJ Uyunglele, but I think these two defensive fronts may determine what happens on Saturday night. But I'm ready, looking forward to it. Uh, it's a heck of a weekend coming up for college football. Uh, certainly, we've got more college football to talk about. Home team Brandon Leak will join us coming up here in hour number one. We'll look at the opening week of college football. Also talk Falcons with him. Did the Falcons play this thing correctly in the preseason? There's a lot of people that think maybe a little too cavalier with playing time in the preseason for some guys. We'll get the home team Brandon Leak about that. Jake Roos on 3.com. Uh, he will join us here on the program. We're talking Georgia Clemson. And then in the final hour, we're going to go back-to-back Georgia Clemson with Rennie Moore former Clemson D-lineman out of uh, Camden County, and Orson Charles, former Georgia tight end. And we'll get the Clemson and Georgia perspectives here on a Monday heading into that big game. And, of course, the Braves just rocking and rolling. Uh, they take two out of three from the Giants. Now they head out west, taking on the Dodgers as they enter the final stretch of the regular season. We'll hit Braves when we come back. It's good to have you along here on this Monday. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live ESPNCoastal.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube as well.
Kevin Thomas and B.J. Bennett. No uh, Ben Troop. Hopefully we'll get Ben back later in the week. But uh, Braves out on the West Coast. B.J. take two out of three from the Giants. Now they go play the Dodgers. And again, Friday night for all you Will Smith fans out there uh, as well was not awesome. Again, that's one of those where it just makes you shake your head when Brian Snicker's like, well, he gets saves. Well, he he did. Had to get a game-saving catch at the wall. We've had we've seen backhands by Dansby. Did you know game-ending double plays to get turned on rock, uh, you know, rope shots there by Freddie Freeman. So yeah, he got the save. But more importantly, uh, the Braves did take two out of three from the team with the best record in the National League, and are just rocking and rolling here. Yeah, I'm going to focus on the positives, and you had a lot of positives from this series to win this series against San Francisco, who still is 84 and 46. Really impressive, and and a statement series for Atlanta. Uh, L.A. coming up, the Dodgers are right there, 82 and 49. So a chance to continue to compete and kind of show who you are on a national stage. But I thought CNE and Anderson back out there, Kevin was was really good. Uh, it's not it's not set in stone yet, but when you look ahead and think, okay, we're probably going to have to come up, or, or probably are going to get to come up with a playoff rotation, uh, assuming we win this division. Where is Ian Anderson going to fit? And to see him go five and two give up no runs, just a couple of walks, a couple of hits. His ERA for the season now down, down to 3-3-6. So especially against a team like San Francisco, was really good to see Ian Anderson come out there and look the part. And when you look at this starting rotation, you know, and, and I, I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but maybe you only need three guys to be in a potential playoff rotation with the way you have Charlie Morton pitching. Max Freed has been great. And now Ian Anderson will see about – uh, Waskari Noah moving forward, but maybe he could be in the bullpen or in a kind of a pseudo starter role. But yeah, Friday night was was dramatic. You probably didn't need it to be, but it was. And yesterday you looked really good. I mean, a complete performance, a couple of more RBIs from, from Ozzy, a couple of more from Austin Riley. I think Kevin Austin Riley hit his 28th home run. And I'll say this, you guys were talking about it, you know, a few days before the national media. Are we starting to see Austin Riley play himself into the MVP conversation here, Kevin? Uh, potentially. I mean, he is continuing to come up big in big spots. And, man, I know he's on the roster with a guy that's an MVP. But uh, Austin Riley, again, it's been twofold. The Braves have gotten this turned around for a number of reasons. It hasn't just been, oh, it's Freddie. I mean, Freddie Freeman has brought his average up 70 points. I mean, Austin Riley's brought his up about as much. I mean, he's just over 300, uh, one of the top five Batting average guys in the National League right now. He's doing it for power. He's playing solid defense at, uh, at third base. I think he's in that discussion. Will he win it? I don't think so. But I think he's putting himself in the discussion. And, and, and man, I, I tell you what, from where this team was to where they are now, it's just you just kind of can't make some of this stuff up. I mean, because they were dead in the water. I mean, they were a, a, a team that was just below 500, couldn't really get a winning streak going, never really got – a bad losing streak, you were, you were just kind of there playing Major League Baseball, right? I mean, uh, you had injuries, Mike Soroka out for the whole year. You lost Ronald Acuna Jr., Marcelo Zuna with his off-the-field problems. You know, a litany of things that have gone wrong. You make a couple what, on the surface, appeared to be secondary moves for not much, right? I mean, you're, you're giving up single-A guys, double-A guys, guys who are not in your top 10, 15 prospects, like, okay, the Braves are making some moves, and it worked. Jorge Soler has been awesome. He was not awesome with the Royals. He's been really good with the Braves. Jock Peterson, great addition uh, to, to the Braves. Rich Rodriguez, 
Richard Rodriguez. I keep want to call Richard. Richard Rodriguez. Been good. Probably should be the closer, in my opinion, just saying. But has been really good. And you got all these guys for essentially nothing. I mean, you gave up Kung Fu Panda, who hadn't had a hit in a month. You were able to trade a guy who did not have a big league hit in over a month and got a guy to come in and, uh, and be a, a key part of your team, man. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride to watch this. I think Austin Riley probably deserves as much of the credit as Freddie Freeman does, and they are certainly co-MVPs in my book uh, for the Braves. Now, whether he wins it for the league is a different story, but, yeah, the offense has been really, really good, and you hope they keep that going, and it kind of shows you the potential of what they can be. And, and, BJ, I mean, can you imagine this offense next year? You got Darno re-signed. Acuna coming back, depending on what you do. I think Solaire might have another year of, uh, of option under. Jock Peterson has more uh, uh, options under there. I mean, you could be talking about Jock Peterson, Solaire, Acuna, with a guy like Guillermo Heredio being your rotator and or Adam Duvall if you want to bring him back. I mean, it's a good team. It's a good team uh, as currently constituted. And, again, with your starting pitching starting to come around, to me the, the still – tough spot is the back end of your bullpen and that's not where you want it to be when it comes time for the postseason that's been my whole critique about you know will smith and some of these guys like yeah they're getting it done but bj you know that five to three ninth inning of a playoff game you need to feel confident you're going to win that not hang on by the skin of your teeth because i think that stuff works in the regular season you get into the postseason where i mean what's the pressure now will smith's given up runs on a team that's five six games in the lead yeah, there's pressure to close it, but not like close this or we go home. I, I that 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 concerns me for down the road, but they're getting it done. So for now, all good. I'm with you. I think Richard Rodriguez should be the closer. And what happened on Friday night, you mentioned, was kind of the quintessential kind of Will Smith moment where he got into the ninth inning with a two-run lead, gave up a solo home run and got a couple of outs, and then the final out was Jock Peterson making a highlight catch at the wall. Could have been a home run. So technically he got the save, but it was in the, you know, by the thinnest of margins. And I think Rodriguez could be effective in that role. But to go back to the point you made about the uh, about the trade deadline, I think that was the catalyst for so much of this. And maybe we had convinced ourselves that the Braves were going to get this player or that player that – that we didn't fully give the moves at the time the credit they deserved. Because you're right, with all due respect to the prospects that were moved, they were not top-tier prospects, or at least regarded as such by the organization and by media outlets. And think about the guys you got. Jock Peterson, who you got before the trade deadline, has been one of the better defenders in the outfield in baseball. He's been an all-star, and he's won a World Series. Okay, then you go out and you get Adam Duvall, who has been a, a, a an important piece of the Braves' success recently. And when you got him, and he still is, he was top five in the National League in home runs and RBI. And you got him. Then you look at uh, Jorge Soler. Soler, two full seasons ago, led the American League in home runs. Led the American League in home runs. Rodriguez has been really efficient, really effective. So you went out and you got good players. You got good proven players. Steven Vogt even was an all-star earlier in his career. So you went out and you got proven players and you've seen them mesh well with the guys you currently have. But yes, when you talk about those additions, you talk about uh, Austin Riley, you talk about Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, whether it's been batting leadoff, batting second, batting cleanup, 
He can do it all for this team. There's a lot of momentum around the Braves. And is it an important series against L.A.? Yeah, but Kevin, I think it's kind of a fun series. And here's what I mean by that. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, every series the Braves played, we were looking at it as you've, you've got to sweep or you've got to win two out of three or something bad could happen in the standings. Philly's been playing better baseball. Give them credit for that. They have the Nationals tonight. But I don't feel like there's this immense you have to sweep L.A. pressure or else kind of feeling out there. Go out and play. You're the best team in the division. You have a multi-multi-game lead. You just took two out of three from the team that had the best record in baseball outside of the Rays. Yeah, the Dodgers are great. We know all about the Dodgers. But the Dodgers know all about the Braves. Go out there, play baseball, and I think this team will continue to play well. Yeah, we'll talk more Braves later in the show, but we'll switch gears, go back to football. College football opens this week. The preseason is done in the National Football League. Home team Brandon Leak will join us. Did the Falcons, BJ, not play this right in the preseason? We'll get the home team and to get his thoughts on that when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good Monday to you, Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett here with you. Glad you're with us on this Monday's game week in college football. Preseason done in the National Football League. Falcons, obviously, we'll all see everybody get started that uh, September 11th week. And uh, joining us here from 680 The Fink, host of Home Team in Hamilton. Uh, home Team, Brandon Leak joins us here on 3 and Out. Home Team, welcome. How are you? Jumping, ready for some football. Oh, we certainly are too. I wanted to start though with the with the Falcons. Obviously, we saw preseason game number three go off the board. And do you feel like the Falcons played this thing right in the preseason? And by that, I mean you didn't see your running back, you didn't see your starting quarterback uh, the entirety of the preseason. Uh, you saw your number one pick play a handful of plays in the last preseason game. Jake Matthews didn't play in the preseason. You really saw nobody of extreme consequence play in the preseason. With a new head coach, new scheme, new system, did they play that right? You know, I'm going to have to go with yes, because everybody played it the way they wanted it to be played. I mean, we saw the Rams and Matthew Stafford going to a new team. Um, didn't play one snap. None of the starters played anything out there in L.A. We saw... Uh, young quarterbacks and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields get out there for multiple times. We saw Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo kind of take turns and go in and out on uh, some series. So I, I guess every team just handled this differently. I mean, they didn't have preseason last year. There are a lot of new coaches, including Arthur Smith. And when you look at, you know, the ultimate goal is one to get work in, but also ultimately to get out healthy. I, I'm just assuming they took health into consideration. Arthur Smith said he took uh, Matt Ryan's 14 years in the league and his experience into consideration. There was no need for him just to go out there, just to go out there. And I think there was some, uh, if they were being honest, just some, uh, you know, some truth that they weren't sure about their offensive line, and they didn't want to put anybody out there in, in harm's way if they really couldn't get the work in they needed to get. So I, I would say, yeah, the Falcons did what like, everybody else did. They did what they thought was best for their team, and now they're moving on. Home team, uh, the Falcons had a total of 248 passing yards in their three preseason games. Is that okay, given that you didn't have you know, some of your stars out there? Or, or, or even with reserves, is that concerning? Um, I, think, I think that's what they wanted to do. If they wanted to commit to a run game, they would have tried it. But the problem is 
Caleb McGarry has been banged up since the start of camp. And they, if they wanted to plug somebody in at left guard and let him stay, they would have done that. So they moved some guys around. I, I just think that Arthur Smith, it, it just looking, uh, hey, it, it was very head-scratching to me, too. It just almost seemed like he just preferred there be a running clock all preseason. He just wanted to get through it. And he used those practices with the Miami Dolphins where they had the ones go up against ones as his preseason, and that's where he seems like he's gotten the most out of his team. That being said, what's your read then uh, through the preseason? I mean, obviously, most people can't go watch them at practice and and see what they're doing. I mean, are we still in a who the heck knows what's going to happen here in a, a week or two and when, when the Falcons go out there for real? Well, I think the expectation is they want to run it like they ran things in Tennessee where they use inside and outside zone to let the running back choose the, the best path to a first down or to yardage. And that Mike Davis, they really believe that He'll be able to athletically be able to make those decisions. You know, can you get the offensive line to move people out of the way and, you know, dictate an offense to somebody? Kyle Pitts, he's going to be one of the more tired Falcons, I think, every Sunday because they're going to move him around. He's going to line up on the left, on the right. He'll be in motion. He'll line up as a receiver out out wide sometimes. So they're going to try to do what you think the pieces help them do, which is play to a strength of – moving people around, utilizing tight ends, and letting Matt Ryan dissect which way is the best place to go. The biggest question, I think, is on defense, where you just don't have as many weapons as you do on offense. How do you think Josh Rosen looked, home team, and uh, is he going to be the Falcons' backup quarterback? He should be. Felipe Franks had every chance in the world. He was getting plenty of reps. He was getting plenty of opportunities to get out there uh, with different groups. Um we had the injury to A.J. McCarron, and so that gave him more time to play. Josh Rosen came in in the second half last night, and he looked like a backup quarterback. He had the better arm. He had better poise. He seemed to move the team a little bit you know, better down the field, but he's a veteran quarterback who's played before, which is something you really want. You want as few questions as you can have when you talk about making a backup quarterback decision, and I think Josh Rosen made it very easy for Arthur Smith and his coaching staff to make that evaluation. Home team Brandon Leak joining us here on Three and Out. And home team, we got a little taste of college football uh, this past weekend. It opens in Mass this weekend. Before we get to uh, to Georgia, Clemson did want to uh, ask quickly about the Georgia Tech there in Atlanta, Northern Illinois, Saturday night. What is the expectation on Jeff Collins, who is certainly selling the sizzle? Right, I mean he is selling the sizzle of the ATL four hundred four to try to booster that bolster that program. Do they expect to get some stake uh, here in, in 2021? Yeah, I think, you know, people appreciate what Jeff Collins has had to do. He's been very honest, you know, kind of being the rah-rah guy and really a, a, a lightning rod. So any questions about what was going on would be de- deflected to him. You know, they haven't been able to win many games as he had to completely turn over an option offense and people who were recruited to play option football to tra- turn into a more d- traditional football unit so that's just going to take time but I think people are expecting just improvement you know it could be the case for Georgia Tech where you can look a lot better score more points uh, look a little bit more polished and the win total might not go up I think that might be something that Georgia Tech fans just have to accept but you know you look at the schedule you know Northern Illinois and, and Kennesaw State and Duke and Pitt and you know some teams that you should be able to to, to be able to get some wins against. And then you throw in, you know, maybe if you catch North Carolina early, which a lot of people would not expect, maybe you find a way to get to six games 
and get to a bowl situation, which would certainly be great. But the truth is the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, they're going to have to get bowl eligible before their last two games because their last two games of the season, they take on Notre Dame, they take on Georgia. You just don't want to be sitting on five wins trying to go into those two games. Well, and you mentioned that schedule. I think they have, what, five top 15 teams when you think about Notre Dame, Georgia, Clemson, North and and Miami. How how do you convey progress with maybe the toughest schedule in the country? And will the fan base there be okay if you do see kind of uh, cohesion and chemistry and, and production improve, but, but maybe you are only at four or five wins? Be more competitive and clean up the slop. And that's to say, you know, you play Clemson and they – They've, they've hung 70 on you. Those days should be over. Be a little bit more competitive, even if they do put up 45, you know, make it a 45, you know, 30 game. Uh, you're in a situation where you play in North Carolina. They lost a lot of weapons, but still have a good quarterback and a well-coached. Don't turn it over three times with a sack fumble or miss two or three field goals like they've been prone to do. You know, clean up the slop and compete. And if you're beaten because other teams have really good coaching and they've recruited well, you can live with that. You can't live when you have no shot to win the game because you are doing all of the damage to yourself and not giving yourself a chance to win. Home team Brandon Leak joining us here on 3 and Out. Obviously, Georgia Clemson in Charlotte, uh, the big headliner this week. Uh, what do you kind of expect uh, out of the dogs this weekend? I know a lot of people are saying, you know, even if they lose, it doesn't derail the season in terms of some of those goals. But this is obviously one of those marquee games you'd like to have in your win column, obviously. Yeah, at some point you need to just come out and win these games, even if they're ugly or they're close. And you have to really win the minds over. And Kirby Smart and the Georgia realists know at some point you're going to have some destination with Nick Saban, and you're going to have to win that game too. So, um, yeah, the, the, dog, the dogs don't have to win this game. They can start off 0-1, you know, make sure they beat Florida and find a way to end up in the – SEC championship game and punch a ticket to the college football playoff, but I think people would start to say it's more of the same. They need to find a way. You look at Georgia's schedule, and it is one of the easier schedules they have had in years when you look at Arkansas and Kentucky and all the games on there. There really aren't a bunch of bad boogeymen in their way. You could trip up to Auburn. You could lose to Florida. You could have a problem with Notre Dame, but you know, you look at you know both sides of the ball, what Kirby's brought in, you got to start winning some games, and you just have to wonder if um, that's on his mind, knowing that big games and big opportunities only come a couple of times a year, and even if they come early in the season, you have to take advantage of them then. We've seen some talk about uh, JT Daniels as a Heisman Trophy favorite, uh, not just a candidate, but maybe a favorite. Do you think we see him put up big numbers on Saturday, and uh, do you think some of that some of that hype is warranted? Well, I think he has warranted the hype when you look at how he finished the season, but now he's going to have to do it. I mean, the, the problem is, and we talked about it on our show today, Georgia just doesn't have. And I think all we were able to come up with were Garrison Hurst uh, from the early 90s as, you know, and, and Herschel Walker as guys who sit up there to be honored for the chance to win the Heisman Trophy. And the truth is, Georgia rotates a lot of folks in from running backs to defensive uh, linemen to linebackers to safety members. So they really haven't had a guy who's been able to be there long enough to put up the numbers. I think he's got the potential when you talk about the wide receiving core and the tight ends that Georgia has. But if Kirby Smart decides to run the ball and if they score a lot of stuff on the ground, I don't know how you know he's going to be able to do so. But if he wins some games and 
slings the ball around against Clemson and beats them and slings the ball around against uh, Florida and beats them and slings the ball around Alabama and beats them. He's got an opportunity to be there in New York for a chance to win the Heisman, I think. Home team Brandon League joining us. And finally, home team, how are you feeling about this one on a Monday? If I, if I made you pick, what are you, what are you feeling about this game here on Monday afternoon? Well, you're talking about playing a team that was the highest scoring team, um, you know, in the ACC. You're talking about a team that had the most turnovers in uh, in football. And if you're talking about Georgia and you're talking about Clemson, I think it's going to be a close game. And I think it's going to be one of those deals where uh, the team that wins the turnover battle wins. I think Georgia's a little bit nicked up. And so I'm hoping they're able to get over that. But if they are nicked up, I think that's a problem. And I think that would cause – EJU and that defensive Clemson maybe to win 28-24. Home team, Brandon Leak, our guest here on this Monday. Home team, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. All right, anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Home team, Brandon Leak, joining us here, talking Georgia and Clemson with him. We'll come back. More football on the way. BJ, your Jags made a quarterback trade. Season is over, BJ, and your Jacksonville Jaguars traded Gardner Minshew. Everybody's favorite mustache guy and mullet and all that guy got traded. And, I mean, the fact is, you had Trevor Lawrence, C.J. Beathard has played much better. But, obviously, based on what happened in the third preseason game, Trevor Lawrence, the guy, looked like a bona fide, in-the-making NFL quarterback, potentially in this one, much more so than the first two preseason games. Obviously, looked like he was ready to at least earn the starting job and everybody knew that's the direction Jacksonville was going to go anyways at the end of the day. Yeah, felt like this was only a matter of time, uh, and, and not necessarily because Jacksonville took Lawrence number one overall, but when they brought in C.J. Beathard, who has started a dozen games, was a starter for a half a season uh, with, with the 49ers, it kind of felt like, okay, something doesn't fit here. You have your franchise quarterback who you drafted number one overall. You have a veteran quarterback who you're paying a decent amount of money to who started a dozen games in the National Football League. And then you have Gardner Minshew. It kind of felt like it was only a matter of time. And look, Gardner Minshew, you guys know I'm a fan. I think he did a good job on a team that had limited options, on a team that uh, didn't have much to play for at certain times last season. I mean, you lost 15 in a row to end the year. And I know Gardner Minshew was hurt late in the season, but last season, 16 touchdowns, five interceptions. I mean, I think that's that that shows the ability he has. Was up near 70% with his uh, completion percentage. I think he's a guy that can play in the National Football League, and I think he'll be remembered fondly in Jacksonville. You know, even though the team didn't have a lot of a lot of success, you saw Gardner Minshew uh, provide some excitement along with some other guys, and the mustache and all that was certainly something that that the fans loved. But I'm Kevin. I'm a little surprised they only got a sixth round pick for him, and I know some of the draft trades can be tough to figure out but for a guy that had been a starter uh, again a 16 to 5 a passer rating I think had a quarterback rating in the mid 90s so uh, I think Jacksonville will miss Gardner Minshew and 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 uh, certainly turn the page to Trevor Lawrence but when CJ Beathard was brought in Kevin I thought it was only a matter of time uh, before Minshew got traded and we asked just about the Falcons new head coach and every uh, with with home team Brandon Lee he said look they played it how they wanted to play it I don't doubt that they did that still doesn't make me feel good about necessarily where they're at going into the uh, the regular season how about Jacksonville on on their end because again they finally did win a preseason game for whoever cares about that but from an execution standpoint they did look their best in the third preseason game 
Yeah, and I would take that with a grain of salt. I mean, the rosters aren't aren't what we're going to see moving forward. But I do think for Trevor Lawrence to go out and be that efficient, have that success, helps him. Understanding it's a preseason, Kev, we know that, guys. But I think the fact that he was so effective and had some success uh, does benefit him now moving forward with some momentum into the uh, games that count. Right, we've got more football on the way. Take three around the corner. Jake Roos of On3.com joins us. We'll talk dogs football in hour two. And we'll hear from Rennie Moore and Orson Charles coming up in the final hour of the program, talking Clemson and Georgia here on this Monday. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Hour two here on this Monday. Jake Roos of On3.com will join us coming up. We'll talk Georgia and Clemson here in the opening week of college football. We'll look at the Falcons and the Jags as they are now done with the preseason, uh, getting ready for their openers. Did the Falcons do enough? I know they said, look, we, we saw what we needed in practice, but many of your stars got zero snaps in the preseason. We'll get to that coming up this hour as well. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, BJ, take one. Which... I'll let you classify it as non-high-profile, but which non-high-profile game are you most interested in this week? Obviously, Georgia-Clemson, Miami, and uh, and Alabama, high-profile football games, LSU, UCLA, but which non-kind-of-high-profile game are you most interested in? Yeah, it's interesting how you you pick that, because I know in the show meeting, uh, you know, there were discussions about Louisiana and Texas, and listen, Texas is a top, what, 20 team. Louisiana is a top 25 team. So I think that would certainly fit. You mentioned some of the games that we've that we've talked about already. Uh, I think I think a lot of these matchups really are uh, high profile. I mean, probably not to the extent that we're that we're talking about um, with Georgia Clemson, but a lot of these other matchups like an Army versus Georgia State. I look at that. They played a couple of years ago in Atlanta. Uh, I was there, and it was a remarkable contest back and forth. Georgia State scored a game-winning touchdown on late, one by seven. Uh, I think that one is a should be viewed as a high-profile game. It is in my mind, but I think if you're talking about games that aren't being talked about to the extent of Georgia, Clemson, uh, Alabama, Miami, and, and and Louisiana, Texas, LSU, UCLA, I think for me that. That Army uh, Georgia State game, two very good programs. What Jeff Munkin has done at Army is really impressive. Georgia State went in a bowl game last year. Uh, uh, Sean Elliott's had a lot of success there. I think those are programs with high expectations. So I'll go. I'll go Georgia State and Army. But to me, that's a high-profile game. Yeah, I mean, I I do think Texas Louisiana in this week probably one that's at least flying under the radar because of LSU UCLA. I think. You probably shoved Texas, Louisiana down a little more because UCLA had the big week this past Saturday and uh, kind of coming out there. Obviously, Bama, Miami, Georgia, Clemson are taking a bunch of the headlines. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that Texas, Louisiana doesn't fit the bill. I mean, I think it is a big game, but it's not getting a lot of the headlines this week. So I think it's at least flying under the radar in terms of some of the big matchups out there this week. So I, I don't have a problem with that one. We're, we're off to a great start. It's kumbaya on Monday. We're getting along on everything. It's fun. All right, moving along. Take two. The Mets, well, specifically, uh, Javi Baez did this. They're taking heat for their new thumbs down. You know, the Braves were doing, uh, you know, what were they doing with the, the mix it up, and then they kind of stopped doing that. Now they're doing the one big kind of chop, whatever. they. Now the Mets are doing the thumbs down 
uh, kind of as they stick it to the fans uh, there with the Mets who booed them unmercifully when they were in the middle of their big losing streak and and not producing. So Javi Baez kind of was like, yeah, we just kind of did it as like we get booed for everything else by the fans, so we might as well boo back when something good happens. And so now all, like half the team's adopting the thumbs down uh, when, when something good happens. Is that cool, lame, or how do you kind of read that by the Mets? I mean, I think it's kind of funny in some ways, but I don't know that that, that, that helps, you know, helps on, on, on many fronts. You know, I think a lot of fans would probably say, hey, let's not worry about, you know, reaction type stuff. Let's worry about going out and, and scoring and trying to win. Not that you can't do both, of course, but I think I think after a while it probably does more harm than good, right? Where, you know, home is supposed to be a place where you go play and, you know, you have a little extra momentum and you go out and kind of the crowd cheers you on and maybe you have a better winning percentage. You win a few more games at home. Normally, year in and year out, the results prove that, that, teams are better at home and I think having that support and that extra confidence boost is sometimes part of that reason why and in, in, in addition to just being comfortable and whatnot but I think you know to have a little back and forth between the home team and the home fans after a while probably isn't good probably isn't productive probably doesn't help uh, could, could potentially become a distraction and you know, to have your home fans rooting against you is tough. I get it. I mean, yes, that's that. That's not what you want. But I think this probably uh, only extends that, right? I think this makes this more of a story, more of an issue, uh, something that kind of stays around longer. So, yeah, probably not what you want. I mean, anything that you do to stick it to the fans, I don't think is ever going to be received very well. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, they they boo because they care, right? I mean, is that kind of the the old adage, like, hey? We're here with you through the good times and the bad, but we're going to let you know when you do bad, right? Like we, we come out to support you, and if there was ever a fan base you were going to stick it to, I mean, I don't know if a New York fan base would be the one to do it to because they'll probably give it right back to you even more. But I, I don't think anything you do is a kind of, hey, Right back at you, buddy. To your fans, I don't. I don't know that that's as you said going to go over well. I know they're. Yeah, I mean, you've had a bad couple of weeks. You've had a bad month where you've gone from being in first place by a couple of games to now. You know, it's not looking good. You're, I think, seven and a half games out of first. All I'm saying is it probably doesn't doesn't help. You know, you want to get that positive traction. You want to turn it around. You want to start feeling good about this. At least uh, the games that are played at home probably probably doesn't help with all that. No. Not, not at all. And again, I think their GM came out with a uh, statement. I, I believe they may be strongly discouraged from continuing that uh, that tradition uh, here in the coming ball games. Mets are seven and a half out uh, in the East. Phillies four and a half out behind the Braves. And finally, uh, BJ, take three. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, but you know I love a good train wreck, right? And especially in today's day when like everything can be Google searched and checked and kind of find out, but did you see the story? ESPN did their you know high school football kind of blowout uh, this past weekend where they had games on all day. Well, one of the games that was played featured IMG, which is, they probably wouldn't like me saying this, but it's a football academy, right? You go to school to learn football with math and English and all that also being taught uh, there at IMG Academy. I, I mean, that's pretty much everybody that goes there is going to get a college scholarship to go play at the next level. So they're stacked, they're loaded. They played a game on national television against a school that a lot of people never even heard of before. Bishop Sycamore out of Ohio, representing the state of Ohio. Bishop Sycamore tells ESPN, yeah, man, we got dudes. 
We got D1 prospects. It's going to be a great matchup. And they proceed to get the absolute brains kicked in by IMG. Come to find out they have no D1 prospects. They barely have a team. They went 0-6 last year. Apparently, there were some reports that they played Friday night before they played on Saturday. How did that get by? Anybody is beyond me, but what info would you potentially make up to get the mothership to, to, to broadcast your high school's game? This is this is just wild, and 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 I was reading about it, and it's just crazy. I mean, I, look to 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 answer the question directly, uh, I'm not I'm not trying to play a game where I'm going to get crushed, especially if you know, and 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 I don't know, haven't seen you know reports, but especially if we played a game recently, and especially if we're playing like the superpower team of all superpower teams in the country, uh, what what does that accomplish? You know, you go out and you lose 70 to nothing or you go out and you get out gained 500 yards to five. I don't know. I don't know what that accomplishes, what that does. I mean, I guess, I guess people are talking about you, I guess, but I'm not, to me, that's not what I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm trying to look at games where I can compete and win, even if they're not on TV, I want to have some success. I want to compete against, you know, schools that are similar to us in terms of, you know, whatever that may be, number of students that, 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 that we can kind of have a back and forth and have a competitive football game with, not saying something that isn't the case so that we can play maybe the most powerful, dominant high school football program on earth and play them when we are not on that level and we do not have, as you said, recruitable players <laughs> to the extent that they do. I just don't know what that accomplishes. Yeah. Well, I know ESPN likes those games because they try to match up certain teams. They're like, hey, this guy's going here. They got big-time commits that people want to watch. Well, apparently, like, the headline that you saw on Twitter this weekend was like, a school that doesn't exist. Well, apparently, it does exist, but here's kind of the rub. It is a charter school uh, which is online only. So think of it as like the uh, potential UNC of high schools where you just have classes and maybe stuff that don't exist, right? I mean, look, this is kind of how, how it was put out there. They charter school online only, has a football team uh, going to play IMG. And you had announcers, I think Tom Luganville was one of those, doing the game saying like, should we just stop this game? Because like somebody, when they, they realize what was going on, they're like, this isn't a good team. This isn't even a team that has D1 guys. Like somebody's going to get hurt because we're out here trying to, I don't know what we're trying to do. But yeah, yeah. you don't want that. Obviously, you do not want that at all. Yeah. So, and again, I haven't. I went looking because I thought it was odd that this would be the case. But like, there were in the stories that I read, people were saying like they played the night before. I haven't seen a schedule that says they played the night before. But how irresponsible as an adult are you if you put your team out there to play a football game on Friday night and then on a Saturday, the day after you played one of the top teams in America? Terrible. I will say this. BJ, if you want to do this in the break, you can. But I went and looked up the school website, and it really is like a bunch of blog posts. That's about all it is about football camps and things like that. There's not really a lot of, like, here's what we offer education-wise or anything like that. There's not even a roster on their website, uh, if you will. But I, I did go look that why, up. Why, Kevin? Why? The, like, like, because like, I was why interested. I wanted to this? see, like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about you. I'm saying, like, like, why go to all this to play a football game against somebody that, that, that you know, it, it's not even comparable? Like, like, why? I don't know, but this has got to be one of the craziest sports stories ever. Where, like, 
We've heard of guys like saying, hey, I'm committing to Stanford, and Stanford's like, yeah, we don't even know who that guy is, much less have an offer out to him. Uh, wasn't a, was it a guy committed to Stanford? Was it Colorado or something? And then they're like, yeah, we don't know who that guy is. He had a press conference and everything. And they're covering this guy like he was a top 300 guy, but literally never heard of a school that's like making stuff up about their roster. Kind of a marginally in the gray area type school, potentially online only. And you're on a national spotlight game and you haven't won a game in two years. Like that's, how does that happen? Like, in today's day and age, where you can literally Google and look up everything, how do you pull that over on somebody? Hey, BJ, I just want to let you know, uh, next year, I got a team we're going to open up against Alabama. We got a lot of dudes. No, 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 I mean, no, you, don't. Are, you are a coach. Yeah, I mean, don't, you are a don't coach. go look it up. Don't go look it up. But we've got dudes. I want it on CBS 330. Just make it happen. <laughs> I mean, just... Is this like the craziest sports story you've heard in quite some time? Like, yes. You literally just totally made up. Bishop Sycamore, look, I think it's right, but look it up. Go look up their website, and it is like barely a website. It might, it might as well be like bishopsycamore.blogpost.com or something. But you do all this so you can play the top program in the country yes. and get and get eviscerated to the extent where they're saying, "Do we need to stop this game?" <laughs> I, I, I mean, why? They checked all the boxes, BJ. Do you have a website? Yes, yes, we do. Do you have a logo? Yes, we do. Do you have players? Oh, we have players. Do you have good players? Oh, we have players. Are they good? We have players. We're ready to go. Did you play last night? Uh, (laughs) I mean, that is insane. That's take three. We do it each and every day at this time. We'll come back. Jake Roos. We're talking real football. Let's talk about real things, B.J. Bennett. Let's talk about Georgia Clemson with Jake Roos on 3.com when we come back. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to have you here on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, glad you're making us a part of your day. Georgia and Clemson coming up on Saturdays. The college football season is finally upon us. And joining us here from On3.com, Jake Roos. Steps in here on a three and out. Jake, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate you joining us uh, on a Monday. What's the health situation for Georgia heading into, obviously, one of the biggest games uh, they're going to see here in the regular season, if not the biggest in the regular season? You know, Kirby Smart was pretty optimistic today in his uh, opening week press conference. Uh, seemed to suggest that, uh, you know, health was on track for most of the guys who've been banged up. Uh, you know, going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, John Fitzpatrick looks like he's a full go. Uh, Kirby was saying some positive things about Warren Erickson and, and feels like he's going to be able to contribute. Uh, be interesting to see if that's going to be at the center position or not, uh, you know, just based on uh, uh, how where his hand is at. But, uh, you know, Kirby obviously not going to give that away. Uh, and then it sounds like still day-to-day on Tyke Smith and Darnell Washington, both of those guys, I think, uh, participating to some extent, but uh, not real clear how they'll be able to contribute this weekend. So, uh, as you can imagine, you know, Kirby playing a little bit coy with giving away the injury report for this week. But uh, overall, it sounds like the Bulldogs are in a little bit better position than they have been where injuries are concerned. And, Jake, you mentioned uh, Erickson. Is there a settled depth chart yet along the offensive line? You know, there's a little bit of an idea, I think. Uh, I, I imagine that uh, we've, we've got a pretty good sense of what will happen on Saturday. 
I, I think that you're going to see uh, Jamari Sellier hold down that left tackle position for this first game. Uh, experience just too valuable there. Probably right next to him, you got Justin Schaefer. Uh, he's probably uh, anchored down that left guard spot. Center's probably the, the question mark with Erickson, uh, you know, and his health. Uh, if he's not able to go, I'm looking for Cedric Van Pran there, but certainly if he's able to go, it'll be Erickson's spot. Uh, next to him at right guard, you're talking about Tate Ratledge, and then uh, I think at that uh, right tackle spot, Ward McClendon, probably the guy you're looking at right now. I, I think you'll see some rotation in the, that group, and uh, you'll see some shifts, of course, over the course of the season, uh, but I think going into Saturday, that's a, a pretty good chance of what you're going to see. Jake, where do you feel this uh, this kind of rivalry is? I know this is one that used to get played a lot, but uh, the last time these two played, the both programs have transformed a lot into national powerhouses. What do you expect uh, the atmosphere to be like when it's 50-50 in Charlotte, not even in one of the home states these two are from, uh, to open up the season? I think it's going to be electric. I think it's something that's just been so long anticipated, such a highly rated matchup. It, you know, it, everybody had uh, the weird year last year, uh, given uh, all the restrictions on attendance and, and the like. So I, I think people are just excited to be able to get back out and go see some college football live and in person in a full stadium and, and get that full experience that goes along with that. So, uh, you know, it, my feel on both, uh, both fan bases is that, uh, you know, they're chopping at the bit for this, rightfully so, and uh, should be a great matchup and make for a great atmosphere on Saturday. So how will the Bulldogs attack Clemson? You know, the Tigers so good up front, so experienced all the way around. What do you think the offensive identity is going to be on Saturday? You know, I think for Georgia, it's got to be focused around, uh, you know, just trying to find holes. I think that, you know, there aren't going to be a lot of those when it comes to this Clemson defense, but you've got to take your shots where you can get them. I mean, Kirby Smart harped on the secondary and said, you know, that he's never probably coached against a group that uh, is returning this much experience back there. Uh, their front seven's deadly. Uh, they got a lot of guys who can get in and rush the passer, uh, can, can really affect the passing game. So, you know, I think for Georgia, it's going to be about getting creative and utilizing your weapons. I think that you've got five running backs back there, each one with a little bit different skill set, guys who can do a little bit of each. And I, I think that you give a run to all of those guys, let them figure out, you know, exactly how they want to play it out. Uh, I think in the passing game, you know, for Georgia, probably the, the best thing they've got on their side is that Clemson doesn't have just a ton of film on some of these guys. Um, you know, when you're talking about your A.D. Mitchell, uh, maybe a, a guy like Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint, uh, you know, they are going to have to account for those guys. And then, uh, you know, some young stars like uh, a guy like Brock Bowers, how does he factor into this? I, I think for Georgia, you've got to just try to exploit those holes where you can run into them. Uh, definitely not going to be an easy task against a, a very experienced defense, however. Jake, you mentioned something there about the run game, having having five guys, and obviously there's not enough footballs to make everybody happy, but what is kind of the, the, the game plan with that? I mean, you mentioned just trying to see, I mean, how do you make that happen in a game as high profile as Clemson? And, I mean, I can't imagine you're going there like, let's just see how it goes. I mean, I, what do you think in an ideal world they want to do with that running back spot? 
You know, I think that you're going to uh, see a, a little bit of action for all of those guys, personally. I, I think that you, you mentioned you don't want to go in not exactly knowing what you're going to do. I think that you're going to see, uh, you know, a pretty clear identity for each guy, though. Uh, to me, Zamir White is that guy. He's going to be your grinder. He's going to be, you know, your three and four yards and, uh, and has the potential to take it further if uh, he can spring one. But uh, a guy who's going to be that workhorse back, you're going to turn to him for those hard carries. You're looking at James Cook, I think, is uh, that Swiss Army knife. And uh, I think they've been waiting to, to, to utilize him there to some extent and, and want to get the, get him in position, uh, you know, to, to fully utilize his skill set. So it won't surprise me to see him split out a little bit, uh, maybe taking some wheel routes out of the backfield. Kendall Milton, another guy, big, powerful, a guy who, you, you know, you, you take a pitch to and uh, see where he can take it. Kenny McIntosh, great field vision, a guy who can break one away. And then Dejan Edwards, I think, uh, maybe your strongest receiver out of the backfield in terms of uh, that whole group. So I, I think that each of those guys, like I said, has a, a kind of a clear role. In it. And I think that uh, it's very possible we see all five of them get some usage on Saturday. A lot of talk about the Clemson defensive front, but Georgia's defensive front is great as well. Uh, could, could, could Davis Anderson Smith and these guys control the game to some extent with their play on Saturday night? Yeah, I think that that's got to be a crucial part of it. I, I think that uh, that's an area where Georgia feels like maybe they have an advantage because uh, this Clemson uh, offensive line, not super experienced, uh, you know, and, and uh, just kind of still growing, I think. That seems to be the feel that I've gotten in speaking uh, to the people over there. So uh, this is an area where – you know, those guys are going to be in the backfield trying to rush and trying to affect DJ and the rest of those guys and, and creating that havoc that they're seeking. You know, uh, it's not a not an easy task, and, and certainly it's going to be uh, it made all the tougher by the fact that, you know, there are great players on uh, both sides of the ball for Clemson. But uh, realistically, I do think that that's a place where Georgia feels strongly, and I, I feel like it's a, a, a place where they feel like they can have success. Stylistically uh, here, Jake, how do you feel Georgia wants to play this game? Is this a game that's kind of new age college football where a clash of two teams like this is going to be a 42-35 type game? Or do they feel this this a 17-14 type game that uh, they'd like to keep the score down and and feel more comfortable winning that? You know, I think ideally they would like to keep the score down. I think if you ask Kirby Smart uh, and, and he were being honest with you, that's probably his preference is to be able to take it, grind these guys away. But the reality is, uh, you know, Clemson is built for the new age of football. This is not a team that I think you're necessarily going to be able to do that against. You're not going to be able to take it out of the air. You're not going to be able to, uh, you know, kind of get a lead and then and then just sort of play ball control with it because they're lethal from wherever they're at on the field. They uh, they can score at any time from any place. So I think for Georgia, the key has to be keeping the foot on the pedal. Uh, if they if they find a lead and then uh, if they get behind, I, I think that they have to be comfortable, uh, you know, taking their shots and uh, you know not. Trying to uh, not trying to force something that's not working. I, I think that they have to be adaptable in this game when it comes to the offense. We've heard a number of times this preseason. Well, if Georgia loses, the season's not over, and all they have to do is win out the rest of the way. And, and certainly that's true. A one-loss SEC champion, uh, Georgia beating an Alabama or an A&M or an LSU uh, in the SEC title game would certainly get in. But what will the what will the response be just dealing with all of the hype and then a loss if that happens Saturday night? Will the dogs be able to just push forward and kind of focus on on that? Or, or will that be difficult in some ways to chase a championship after a loss right away? 
you know, I think from a national perspective, it'll be tough. I, I think that, you know, obviously you're going to have uh, a lot of naysayers saying, oh, same old Georgia, you know, coming out, huge expectations, and they come out and lay an egg. But I think realistically, you know, it, it's a situation after this game where you feel like everything should be winnable. Uh, up until probably Florida. I mean, uh, not to say Kentucky's going to be a pushover this year, but, you know, you're looking at that schedule, and it's uh, UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Auburn. So that, that's some teams with some new faces, uh, you know, at, at coaching helms. That's some, you know, lesser talented programs. I, I mean, you can make it through this one, and I think that you've got a chance to kind of right the ship and rebuild before the next test. And I think for them that's that's huge. I think that they can push through uh, if, if they do uh, end up dropping this one. I, I think that they can kind of right the ship, uh, get refocused, and uh, keep all their goals in front of them. Jay Cruz on 3.com, our guest here on 3 Now. Jake, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Jay Cruz joining us here with Georgia Clemson coming up Saturday. BJ, so we sit here on Monday, a couple things he brought up there. Uh Getting all five running backs some touches. Is that a feasible thing to do uh, in a game like Clemson? And I, and I say that because, okay, let's say you opened up with a Gardner-Webb or something. Okay, try all five guys. I mean, this is a marquee matchup. Do you go into this game saying we're going to let all five guys touch the ball at some point in the game and and, and see what they can do? I, I don't know. if I think maybe game t- dictates who gets on and if they do at all. Yeah, I agree completely. I thought your question about kind of the stylistic uh, play we're going to see on Saturday is going to determine a lot of what happens. Because if, and you don't know, anytime you get a sense for something in college football, it goes the other way. But I think on paper, if you say this is a 24-20 type game, you think, oh, that really benefits uh, Georgia. If you say it's going to be a 44-40 you know, 40 type game, that really benefits Clemson. But I think your game plan in terms of how aggressive you are, in terms of how often you run the football, in terms of how much pressure you bring defensively, in terms of are you punting on fourth and short or are you going for it? I think a lot of that's going to be determined in the first few series. And I think if Clemson comes out, my guess is they're going to want to really try to force the issue offensively. If they come out and score a touchdown on two of their first three possessions or if they you know, really control control things early, I think Georgia will have to kind of be a little more aggressive uh, in response, even if their plan is we want to run the ball, we want to get these guys involved. I think you're going to get get a feel for how this game's going to play in the first five to six, five to six seven minutes of of, uh, of of game time. But I think those questions, because of that, Kevin, are hard to answer because it's the first game for both teams, and I think both teams, in theory, want to try to do something a little bit different. Whoever can dictate tempo will have a huge advantage. Right, we've got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll talk to Rennie Moore, Orson Charles, coming up in the final hour of the program. We're talking Falcons and Jags, though. Preseason is done. Getting ready for the NFL. We'll hit that next 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here on this Monday, Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett. Ben, hopefully, will be back with us uh, here later in the week. Uh, but we've got a lot to get to. Final hour, Rennie Moore, Orson Charles going to join us. We're talking Georgia and Clemson with both of those gentlemen. And, uh, B.J., we still got the NFL coming right around the corner. We talked with home team Brandon Leak about this earlier. Falcons played last night. Who cares if they won or lost? I don't think anybody does. However... Matt Ryan, 
I mean, really, Calvin Ridley, nobody of consequence seemingly played in this preseason. You did finally see Kyle Pitts for a little bit in the preseason. What his one catch at the beginning of the game looked very good. However, he said, hey, the Falcons played it how they played it. How do you feel, though, knowing that your key guys, Jake Matthews, uh, Matt Ryan, others, didn't play a snap at all? And it's not about whether you win or lose as much as it is, I think, getting a few game reps of which they got zero. Well, I do think for guys like that, like Matt Ryan, guys, you you mentioned the preseason doesn't have much value traditionally, right? Because we know what the starters for the Atlanta Falcons can do, especially offensively, maybe outside of the offensive line. There aren't any questions, okay? Matt Ryan doesn't need to go out there and, you know, have a day where he completes three of four passes so that he has his confidence. Or you don't necessarily need Mike Davis to go out and run for a couple of touchdowns to know that he can do that in the regular season. I am a tiny bit surprised given that it's a new coaching staff, right? I think if if you're talking about a staff that's been in place for three, four, five-plus years and the expectations are very clear and, and very well-established and you've obviously had countless reps of live game action using that terminology with those coaches on the sideline, anything in the preseason. But I'm a little bit surprised you haven't at least seen some – some repetitions for those guys just because it's a new system and it's a new coaching staff with Arthur Smith and there are going to be some changes, even if they're only relative changes. Uh, I, I I don't think what you have seen has been terribly impressive. Uh, still some questions along the offensive line in your three games you've thrown for 248 yards total. And of course the injury to AJ McCarron was very difficult. You hate to see that. I thought Josh Rosen looked pretty good yesterday and it's probably going to be your backup quarterback, but I'm a little surprised. I'm not worried about it, Kevin, because I want to be consistent. It's the preseason, and I try not to overreact to anything we see in the preseason. But I will say this. If there is a takeaway from the preseason where I'm looking at the Falcons going, man, I don't know that I have a lot of confidence, it's the offensive line. Uh, Your offensive line really struggled. I know some guys aren't completely healthy yet. Maybe we haven't seen the full unit uh, yet. But, man, that uh, you've had some struggles up front. You come out in the season opener – and you look like you can't get out of your own way offensively, I guarantee you there's going to be some questions about why half of these guys didn't even play in the preseason. You know, Mike Davis, what's, can he get on track? If he has a game where he rushes for 20 yards, you can blame some of that on the offensive line, but you got to say he got no snaps in the preseason. Jake Matthews, no snaps in the preseason. I, I think there's going to be legitimate questions if you come out and offensively, you know, lay an egg uh, in this one. Potentially, again, for guys like Ryan and guys like Davis, I'm not as much worried about getting the reps in. And I think the risk-reward paradigm is what you're looking at, right? Is let's say you would have played Kyle Pitts uh, 20, 20, 20 snaps, right? And he goes down with injury in one of those snaps. Well, that's a very serious problem that derails your team goals for 2021. Same thing for you know Davis, same thing for Ryan, Matthews, countless other guys. And I do think for the for the veterans that are proven in this league, I don't know that there's great value, but I do think the continuity and the cohesion up front, that's where I would look for potentially, Kevin, a little bit of instability is we've heard from various guests say, hey, you need uh, uh, chemistry and cohesion along the offensive front. And yeah, you can get that in practice, but you can also get it in the preseason. And that's a real question for Atlanta, the offensive line. And I think to your point about if it doesn't look right, 
I think that's most likely to, to occur up front with the offensive line at this point. Yeah, I'm interested to watch them when they come out. And again, especially offensively, because that's where most of your key guys virtually just had practice and I guess intra-squad scrimmages. But we talked to Ben about this. He said, look, at some point you do need some live game reps, even if you are a seasoned veteran, just to get the feel with your team about how things are running and et cetera. But we'll see if it has any effect on them whatsoever. Defensively, uh, I mean, they played a lot of guys because they needed to. They're young on that side of the ball. How do you feel about this Falcons team? Do you feel like they're going to be as big a liability as they were last season, or do you think they showed at least some signs that there may be a better tackling team and have some some steps in the right direction? I try not to take too much away from preseason, and I, I want to. I mean, I mean, I understand that bad tackling is, is bad good. tackling, though. Right, and I also understand that stance is not good for breaking down preseason games. So, yes, I think you can make modest progress where confidence for young guys, confidence that. Uh, that, that, that you can do this if you haven't been out there a ton. But I still have my questions, Kevin. I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't. I, you know, where's the consistent pass rush going to come from? Uh, do you feel like you have uh, a, a true kind of cornerback one, two, three in the secondary? Do you feel like you have playmakers in the secondary? Do you feel like you have depth at those positions? I think there are still questions, and that doesn't mean that answers aren't out there. I, I mean, you said this, and you're right. Whether you're evaluating Atlanta in the regular season or in the preseason, I don't think you're looking for kind of, hey, you got to hold your opponent to 10 points per game. You're not looking for dominant defensive play. You're looking for complementary defensive play. Can you get a couple of stops a half and give your offense a chance to pull ahead? Can you create a couple of turnovers? Can you consistently uh, uh, pressure the passer? You're not necessarily saying this team has to be a top 7-8 defense in the National Football League, but it has to be situationally and circumstantially effective. And I don't know for me that those questions were answered in the preseason. I think they're they're still, uh, they're still out there and uh, they're going to have to be answered in the regular season. Over to Jacksonville. Obviously, we knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be the starter. It's there. Gardner Minshew gets traded. You look at this Jacksonville team. I know people, I mean, we've had some people come on here say they think Jacksonville could win seven, eight games. I'm like, well, let's wait and see. Where do you think this is? I mean, we're evaluating Arthur Smith as a first-time head coach. How are we evaluating Urban Meyer, first-time head coach, as he worked through, uh, through his preseason? I think it was important to to have that recent success yesterday, and uh, not that it was going to ultimately determine the fate of Trevor Lawrence or the Jaguars, but I do think the situation is a little bit different in Jacksonville with the preseason compared to Atlanta, whereas, listen, Atlanta has been in the playoffs. Atlanta, including some of these players, have been on the verge of a Super Bowl. You have a head coach in Arthur Smith who's been around the NFL, who's been in the playoffs and has had success as a play caller. Urban Meyer's never been in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence has never played in a real NFL game. Uh, When you look at the core playmakers on this team, they're all 25 and under for the most part. When you talk about, you know, Lawrence, when you talk about Shark, when you talk about uh, Taylor, Chenault, uh, Allen, Chason, Henderson, these are young football players that haven't experienced a lot of success. You lost 15 games in a row last season. So I do think the situation in Jacksonville is a little bit different than it is in Atlanta. And to have a night, Kevin, I'm with you, man. I don't really know that the wins matter. Uh, You beat Dallas 34-14. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be the key to your season, uh, coming out and going 11 of 12 for 139 yards with two touchdowns. Now, we understand he's not going to face defenses like he 
face last night. But I do think for a number one overall pick where everything you do is going to be scrutinized, everybody's going to overreact to all of the results, I think it helps from a confidence and a rhythm standpoint to go into a regular season game, the opener, coming off of a really, really good performance. And, and, and Trevor knows it's the preseason. Urban Meyer knows it's the preseason. We all know that. But I think for a young quarterback – that is going to shoulder a lot of the offensive burden uh, this season for the Jaguars. I think it was good for him to have some success. And I'm not even talking about the final score. I'm talking about early in the game. Good for the Jaguars to have some success uh, to kind of to kind of validate some of that coaching staff and 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 what they've been saying. And we'll see how it translates in a week from uh, Sunday when the Jaguars get uh, their season underway. We've got more to come, including the SEC putting out uh, their policy officially on canceled games that they may run into here in 2021. We'll get to that when we come back. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett here with you. The SEC put out its game policy. We kind of knew about this uh, earlier, about if teams weren't able to play for most likely a COVID reason. They did say if there were other reasons, but most likely a COVID reason in 2021 earlier, they wouldn't try to reschedule the game. And they officially put out their statement today. A lot of folks talking about that, that if a team is unable to play for a, they said any reason, we all know what reason that would be. It would be labeled a loss, a forfeiture. If both teams, BJ, can't play uh, because of, let's just say COVID reason, then they both get losses uh, in in that situation. You would say, well, why not just hold out until one team says they can't play and you just sit back? Well, apparently, much like the injury report, the teams are having to report their their, uh, COVID status weekly. So if they are unable to play, uh, they get a loss. If both teams are unable to play, they will both get a loss uh, at the end of the day. So be interesting to see how this plays out. Well, and and – and I think not being able to play and, uh, you know, it resulting in a loss has been the consensus. We've seen that around college football. I think this is a continuation of that uh, in terms of what we've seen other leagues do. I think the ACC announced something similar recently. So I think this is kind of the standard around college football. And, uh, you know, it's yet to be seen, like you said, how it plays out or, or you know, how many teams will be affected by this, won't be able to play because of the, the COVID uh, uh protocols but i think this has become sort of the standard around college football and of course the skeptics out there saying well what if it's alabama who's unable to play and they're sitting there at 10 and 0 or 11 and 0 will the policy get changed uh be interesting to see what happens if they take a loss uh because they can't play but i mean that is the policy uh as it's uh, put out there by the sec where if you can't play for whatever reason i think they said there are there might be extenuating circumstances i.e what we're seeing in Louisiana now with a hurricane coming through that if you can't right. play, then obviously that would not count. But uh, basically the underlying tone is if you can't play because of COVID, we're not making it up. You're going to take a loss. The policy is the policy. And, and, and yes, uh, I think this is going to be something that we see in, in all of college football, obviously we're, you know, hoping and praying for the best uh, with uh, COVID. And of course the hurricane you mentioned there, just, just, uh, you know, really concerning there in Louisiana. But I think with regards to this policy, you're going to see college football games continue to be impacted by this, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping for the best with it, but I think we're going to see this throughout the season. 
Certainly. We've got much more to get to in the final hour of the program, talking Georgia and Clemson. Uh, Rennie Moore, former Clemson uh, defensive lineman out of Camden County, he will join us top of the final hour. We'll also chat with Orson Charles, former Georgia NFL tight end, uh, will join us and getting ready for the big game. And, again, this is a little different. This is not like getting ready for Florida State or, or what have you or Georgia getting ready for Florida. This is a non-conference game between teams who are rivals, kind of, like they don't probably play enough to be have that true, but there's a lot of people that really dig on Georgia Clemson when they play, and this thing is huge between two teams in the top five to start the season. Oh man, just just an incredible history when you think about these two, and and yeah, it's not the annual rivalry that we see with with Georgia and Georgia Tech or, or you know uh, uh, you know games like that, but Clemson South Carolina, but it is absolutely a rivalry, and you've had some incredible historical moments. The Kevin Butler kick. You know, you go back and think about his 60-yarder game winner uh, for Georgia over Clemson. You think about them going back-to-back with national championships in the early 80s. You think about some of the recent drama. I know we had uh, DJ Shockley on a couple of weeks ago talking about him helping Georgia uh, in the early 2000s come back and, and beat Clemson. So you've had some signature moments, and I think more are coming. Uh, Kevin, I can't remember an opener quite like this one. It's going to be fun, and it's Saturday nights. So you can get through the other games, enjoy it. Maybe not enjoy it if your team loses, <laughs> but even if you're not, even if you're not a Georgia or Clemson fan, this is going to be one you got to tune in and watch. And we will chat with Rennie Moore when we return for the final hour of Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Final hour of three and out here on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, glad you are with us as we're talking Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Clemson to get the see. I'm ready for Georgia, Florida already, but uh, we're talking Georgia, Clemson uh, here. Week one of the college football season is upon us, and our next guest, former Clemson and NFL defensive lineman out of uh, Camden County, Rennie Moore, uh, joins us here on three and out. Rennie, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How y'all doing today, man? Hey, man, we are doing fantastic. I know week one, whenever you've had a long off season, is you know just excitement to the max to get out there and play. What about week one when you know, in Clemson's case, you got a top five team waiting for you to get the thing started? All right. Well, I, I'll go ahead and get the party started. You know, a top five team it has to be top five qualified. That's that's going through each and every conference. Uh, Clemson is a top five team. Alabama's a top five team. I'll even put Oklahoma up there, top five team. There's a lot of people up there, you know, qualify as top five team. But the Bulldogs now have taken the seat back for a while within the SEC. So I can't really give them the top five, but I will. I will mention them being a pretty good team to play, or at least warm us up for our season. Well, Clemson's been so good, Rennie, in these big games. I mean, you've seen it time and time again. What's been the biggest key to Clemson being at their best in the spotlight, as we've seen for quite some time now? Uh, I would say, of course, uh, Dabo Sweeney, uh, recruitment and depth. We always have depth within our players. I mean, everybody can play. Not one person. Just everybody's ready to do what they got to do. Everybody can play. So I do feel that within – our realms of how we know to play ball in the ACC. I don't think that Georgia has that speed, man. I just 
I'm ready to talk joint to Georgia. I've been quiet for so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, defensive line has been a strong suit there for Clemson. To speak to being a part of that unit and how Clemson wins so many games uh, there up front on defense. Yeah, man, Brent Venables, man, he's a smart guy. Man, he uses the D line as what they use for to cause disruption and try to sneak your guys in for the big hits. As you see, like I said, during the uh, our linebacker number 47, man, he's a red shirt, I think, senior now, and he's a proven vet to lead that defense. And, I mean, this guy's, uh, I mean, he's a he's a hellraiser, man. You come off that edge, it's like a bullet. And I don't see JT Daniels. I really don't know JT Daniels, and I can't say he's from the West Coast, I believe, but we play ball different in the South. So I don't see him really leading the reins in Georgia. So if they got a throw, I don't see that really happening. And a follow-up about that defensive line Kevin mentioned. I mean, every year, Clemson's leading the nation in sacks, tackles for loss, guys like yourself going to the league, guys earning, you know, all ACC, all American honors. I mean, how does Clemson maintain it week to week, but beyond that, year to year, being so elite at the line of scrimmage defensively? Uh, uh, I, I, I would speak to our extensive playlist, man. We have played and been against people in the SEC, ACC, uh, uh, all across the board, man. I, I, and of course, you got to give it to the SEC because they are what we call the strong, the strong or the big brother in conferences. But man, it's to that point now. You look at how many teams Clemson has beat in the SEC. We still want Florida. We don't want anybody else. We just want the top guys that I guess the SEC calls top five. Like you said, top five teams. <laughs> Georgia, I don't see it. I just I don't see it. it's hard for me to put that in there. Hey, so, I understand that, Rennie. So, you mentioned Brent Venables. Uh, what makes that guy tick, man? Because he's a guy that I think people look back and say, this could be a guy that had a head coaching gig five, six years ago. He's been a hot name, but obviously he's getting paid handsomely to be at Clemson. What makes that guy tick, and what makes him just so good at uh, at what he does? I, I think his aggressiveness, man, in defense, man, it, it's rare that you uh, let D-Lyman pin their ears back and go get go get somebody. You know, most time we got to read or we got to adjust. And stuff. Man, these guys can play ball. They can let loose and make plays, and he knows how to let them linebackers play off his D-line, and it's almost like one big net. And it's hard for a lot of players, to, you know, or coaches even, to figure out that whole mathematical problem to say, well, how can I draw up the right play to, to get them off whack? It's hard. Brent Venables, he really, really has proven himself in Clemson. He's an asset to our, our the whole, the whole team, not just the defense, because he brings that energy. So we've been in big games, crucial big games, and we've been we've been better than we ever had to be in the third and fourth quarter. I don't see Georgia getting past the second quarter. I just don't see them. I don't see Georgia running the ball on us. I don't see Georgia throwing the ball on us. I haven't even seen Georgia run the ball since Swift. So I, it's tough, man. I don't know. I. Last running back I heard from Georgia was Todd Gurley. That's the last one. <laughs> Rennie, is the preparation different for a game like this when you open the season against against the Georgia with the national attention, or is it the same preparation regardless of who you open up against? Oh, it's, it's, it's the preparation. Of course, it's, it's going to be a different preparation. It's the first game of the season, and you know everybody's coming guns a-blazing. Everybody's going to be fully loaded, ready to do what they got to do. They're tired of hitting each other, and the first people you get to heat, hit are what you would call top five. So, I mean, hey, it only amps up and makes the coaches have to hone the players in more, not make simple mistakes, not make overbearing mistakes, and stay within the game plan. Most coaches, a.k.a. like Dabo Sweeney, 
That's nothing to him. It's another day. It's literally another day in the week for him. Randy Moore joining us here on three and out. It's a neutral site game. Just speak to, I know whether who wins, what have you, but just speak to opening up with a team like Georgia and, and Georgia and Clemson kind of being like pseudo rivals. I know they don't play a whole lot like Clemson and South Carolina do and Georgia, Georgia Tech do, but uh, speak to just having a game like this with two border states going at it uh, with Georgia and Clemson to get it started. I hope this opens – well, to speak on my behalf, I hope it opens up a whole another realm for uh, the ACC and SEC to join and start playing more teams. I would like to see Clemson play Florida. I would like to see Florida play uh, 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 teams in the SEC, Duke. I mean, I want to see what these other teams are really – what they really have against the ACC or what the SEC brings that we – or they say the ACC doesn't have. So, I mean, I hope for the future – that it only brings better competition, better games, which I know it will. But just to undercut anything in SEC, man, Clemson is the best thing smoking right now. I mean, it is it is what it is. You can't stop Dabo and his coaching staff. That's just one. You know what I'm saying? A lot of them guys up to leave and go to the NFL and coach. They stay there for a reason. They they want more national champions, and all we do is get the best recruits. And just to let you know, the secret weapon is back. Justin Ross was able to, if he could enter the draft, he would have been the top receiver. He's now back. So I really don't see any DBs that can hang. I don't see Georgia's defense hang with them. So I'm going to call the score right now, 34-10 Clemson. Woo! What's going to be the biggest key? All right, Renny, 34-10 Clemson. If Clemson's going to do that, what's going to be the biggest key to not only winning, but winning by multiple scores for the Tigers? Uh, easy, man. Our, with our freshman quarterback and, and his style of play, he's a tough, rugged guy, a big guy. Not going to scare him with a couple sacks and big plays. No, nah, because we can still go, like I said, we can go deep. We can turn, we can be on our 30 and be on your 20 in, in a, a blink of an eye. Our running game is substantial. And now, like I said, our defense, our, our corners are really boost. Our corners are legit. And I wasn't expecting it because they were so young. But, again, like I said, it's Dabble Sweeney and the coaches growing their players, putting the time and effort into their players to be the best they got to be in the ACC. So all we do is face, pass, and play. We're used to this. So you can't pass on us. That's what we do. We're Clemson. So the only chance that Georgia has is to run the ball. And what we have up front, that's going to be hard. I just don't see that happening. Randy Moore, former Clemson uh, defensive lineman, obviously geared up for the opener uh, of the uh, the college football season. Randy, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, man. All right, man. Y'all have a good one. Thank you. Appreciate it. Randy Moore joining us here. He's fired up for uh, for Georgia and Clemson coming up here on the opening Saturday of college football. And he said, hey, I think Clemson could do it. I think he's it's like I want Georgia to prove them, and we had a. Hey, uh, I'm ready. I'm we had, ready. We had, look, we had look, a. We had look, a, we had a no, 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 no. Listen, I got to say this because it's funny. We had a. Uh, we had a. Uh, a guest uh, on, so I wanted to answer. Rob. Uh, Rob Hicks left us a message watching on Facebook. and said, "This guy's a Clemson Hober." Well, Rob, he did play at Clemson, so I would say yes, he probably will. We will get the other side. I promise you, Orson Charles. And let me let me just lay it in on you, Rob. When we talked to Orson. He probably thinks Georgia is going to win. And we'll do just fine. I'm, you know, I'm just saying. But go ahead, BJ. Sorry, I, had, I just had to want to answer no, that. Listen, Rennie was a really good player at Clemson, and and you know I'm 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 ready to go. Listening to him, man, just uh, just 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 hearing him, I'm 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 anxious. We got to wait until Saturday night. But he said he said what forty two to ten, uh, and there now, there are people, there are pundits who feel like Clemson is 
you know, in, in, in addition to former players, fans, I've seen picks all over the place of, hey, Clemson's going to win this by multiple scores. And, and certainly Rennie's done that in his career, gone up against some of the biggest names in college football. Doesn't matter. So I do think there's an expectation, right, from, from, from Clemson, whether it's the players, whether it's the fans. I think Clemson steps onto the big stage. I mean, you've made seven straight college football playoff appearances. Seven straight. You win the ACC every year. Nobody even has to think about it. It's like, oh, so I think Clemson goes into these games with an expectation that not only do they think they're going to win, they think they're going to win by multiple scores. And to be fair, Kevin, you look at the last, uh, you know, decade plus, that's largely been what we've seen well, out of Clemson. I was going to say, I understand Rob's comment when you look at it and say, hey, why does he think Clemson's going to beat Georgia? I, I think more, more than anything else is that gives you a, a little bit of insight into the Clemson locker room, guys that have been in there and played uh, for for Dabo Swinney and, and, and company, why they're so confident, why they feel like they can step into games like this and they go out there and expect to win. Just great insight to me into what Brent Venables is preaching on defense, what they expect when they walk out there on the field. We'll get the other side of it, I promise you. Orson Charles, he will join us. He played at Georgia. He'll probably say Georgia's going to win by two or three touchdowns when he joins us next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here with you on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett here with you. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Georgia and Clemson coming up on Saturday night. Joining us here, former Georgia uh, tied in, an NFL tied in. Orson Charles steps in here with us on 3 and Out. Orson, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well and yourself. Thank I, you for having me on. Hey, man, we're doing fantastic. Uh, I guess opening up with Clemson, man, if you're, uh, if you're Georgia, what a way to get things started! Obviously, with uh, with high expectations, you're going to open up with a uh, with a top five team. Got to be uh, an exciting way to come out of a long off season. Yes, it definitely does, and I think this is this is our moment to prove everything that we should have proved a couple of years ago. Hey, we are the University of Georgia, and we're the team to be reckoned with. So, what better what better way to start off, like you said, being Clemson, the first home opener? The excitement around Georgia football is at an all-time high, and and you have this opener, a top five matchup. How do you how do you make sure that 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 you turn excitement and hype into getting it done on the field and and, and being at your best on Saturday night? I mean, I think, I mean, what Kirby preached, I'm sure what he preached there in practice and then during the week leading up to this game, just do your job. Like this is this is just another another regular game. If you treat it as such, you know. Study your plays, do your job, make your plays, and and we'll be ready for the next game. So I think that I think everybody's going to be excited. It's the first game at Clemson, but once you hit that person and all right, this is just a regular game, then you can start playing your best. How long does it take you to get there? That it's just a regular game. Obviously, it's the first one. It's a top five matchup. You're not even playing in either one of them's home state. You're in Charlotte, North Carolina, to play this. How do you make it just seem like a regular game? Well, I can speak for myself. I know when we had to play Florida and we had to go to the neutral side, I think the moment that I either hit the person or, I, I, like, I was cheering on my teammates and then they made a big play, then I, I tell myself, hey, this is just a regular game, like a game in Little League or a game in the backyard. You're just playing football. It's just a lot more at stake. <laughs> what are your expectations for this offense, uh, Orson? You played, of course, on some great productive offenses – what do you think we'll see out of JT Daniels and uh, this offense? Being on the same page, 
So, yes, I'm, I'm sure they're throwing the ball around and running the ball in practice, but just being on the same page and just having them boys have fun. I think once you look at all those championship-caliber teams, the ones that have fun and stick to their assignment, they're the one that's very successful and succeed. So I think that all they have to do is just stick to their assignment, remember their plays, and just go out there and have fun and light it up. <laughs> We're all waiting for that. Expect out of this Georgia offense. JT Daniels obviously played a little bit last year. He's got some Heisman talk around him coming into this game. Georgia's got a whole bunch of running backs. Some questions maybe at wide receiver with some new faces there. But what are you expecting from Georgia on offense against a very talented Clemson defense? To be honest, we're going to stick to our game. Everybody knows that we're running like we're going to run the ball, but I, I do believe that we're going to open it up. So the OC I had him at. Cleveland, and I know that he, he stressed about running it, but he also stressed about passing it as well and having that balance. So I, I know Todd is going to get those guys ready, and I just want to see a complete game from start to finish. A lot of talk about the quarterbacks, and understandably so, but how much of this game, Orson, is going to be determined right there at the line of scrimmage uh, in the trenches? Oh, that's where the game starts and ends. <laughs> it all starts in the trenches. <laughs> so we're going to go as far as our old linemen take us. And then on, on defense, we're going to go as far as our D-line stops them. So it, it definitely begins in those trenches. And I hate how they don't get enough love, but I love, I love my big guys. I love my boys. <laughs> so oh, that being said, in a game like this, do you like hanging in there with the big guys and throwing your weight around blocking? Or are you still like, let those guys do those things. I still want to go out and, and get out of there and, and, and run in space. No, so the thing is, I believe you're going to have to do both. So playing for Georgia, like, and, and you can see, playing for Georgia as a tight end, you're not just going to split out and run, like catch balls all the time. No, you got to be in line because we work on a double team with the tackle. We work on that, that ball when we're blocking down. So as a tight end, we, we have to be able to do both. And in order to play, you're going to have to learn how to do both. So when you're a player and you have a game like this on the horizon, how do you keep your mind occupied for five, six days? I mean, we're, we've been talking about this game all, all year, and we still have a full week to go. What do you do to, to kind of stay focused but not get too focused, I guess, with the game only a couple of days away? To be honest, I think that you tune out all the noise. You tune out Instagram, Twitter. You tune out all social media platforms. And you just focus on you just focus on the game. You focus on your plays. You focus on your assignments, and then you just tighten everything up. So when the game comes, you're not distracted about you're not distracted with outside noise. You're really just dialed in and focused. Orson Charles joining us here. Speaking of of some of that outside noise, I mean, I, this is obviously a very talented Georgia program that's getting a lot of love. There's championship expectations on the program. How does that play in the mindset, knowing that a lot of people are looking at this team saying they're SEC contenders, playoff, national championship contenders, and a lot of it starts with this first game against a very good team. How do you not look at And there's a lot of people that are already chalking up like, oh, if Georgia wins this one, I mean, it's just maybe the Florida game and you get to the SEC championship game. I mean, how do you kind of not say our season rides on one or two games and just go out and play? And like you said, not make this an all-or-nothing type football game in your mind before you go play. I mean, because at the end of the day, you got to take it one down at a time and then one play at a time and one game at a time. So I, I know Kirby, uh, and I've, I've heard him talk to the team, and I know some of the coaching staff, and I bet they're preaching the same thing. Don't worry about the Florida game. Don't worry about SEC championship because if we worried about that and forget about playing right now, we're never going to get there. 
So let's handle this first game. Let's handle this first play, whether it's offense, defense, or special team, and then let the game speak for itself. So after we take care of Clemson, we'll go on to the next week, too. What's the biggest key to victory Saturday night? And uh, I know we're still a couple of days out, but do you have a game prediction for us? Mm. The key to victory, you got to knock them in the mouth. Uh, I believe the last time they lost, I mean, the opponent, I mean, that's what they did. They wasn't, they wasn't really prepared. So I think we're going to have to do the same thing. And 25-17. All right. Or is it Charles joining us here? I, I, before we let you go, I do want to ask you, you mentioned you played for uh, Coach Monken there in, in the pros. What What's his style like as an offensive coordinator? Obviously, you can do some things differently probably in the college game than you could do at the uh, at the pro level or do things at the pro level you couldn't do at the college level. But what's his kind of style like? What is what is his game week preparation like, especially getting for a game like, say, this one? Everybody has to be physical across the board. It's just not the O-line or D-line. It's going to have to be the receivers, the running back. You know, everybody's going to have to play physical. And he's more of a balanced person. So for every probably a few runs, it'll be a few passes. He wants to set the tempo, so I can imagine that that tempo is going to be, that tempo is going to get set very early on, and then it's up to it's up to the players to kind of kick, like carry that momentum and understand that he wants a balanced game. So you so they're not going to be able to stack the box and stop the run and don't think we're going to pass because he'll mix it up. Orson Charles, our guest here on Three and Out. Orson, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you. Y'all have a good one. Will do. Orson Charles, former Georgia tight end, getting ready for Georgia Clemson. And, again, I think that's probably a good philosophy to have against Clemson, BJ. Go up, punch him in the face. Uh, Ohio State did a good job of that and were able to uh, to take the fight to him. I know sometimes that's you say that all the time. Hey, we're going to take the fight to him. That's easier. People say that to Alabama. You just go punch him in the face and see how the difference is how they respond. I think that is going to be a big key on both sides is who is more physical and who absorbs that first kind of body shot from the other team and kind of rolls with the punches and, and is able to rebound. Yeah, physicality. And and I thought great perspective from Orson Charles. Uh, it, Kevin, it's not going to surprise me if we see after all the talk of you know, the Heisman for JT Daniels, and we're going to throw the ball 30 times a game, 40 times a game, and, and that may happen. And I undoubtedly think Georgia's going to have balance. They're going to have big plays down the field, not only against Clemson, but but the rest of the season. But it wouldn't surprise me after an offseason of talking about the passing game if Georgia goes into this game and looks at it like this, at least early on. Clemson has an elite defensive line. They are going to come at us. We've got to find a way to slow that group down. In theory, the way you slow down a great pass-rushing defensive line is to line up and run right at them. And I know that's easier said than done, but even though there are some relative questions, Georgia's offensive line is still very, very good. Georgia's offensive backfield depth is unparalleled, and you have probably three or four guys that could start at just about any program in the country. So, yes, JT Daniels is going to have to make big throws to win this game. Yes, he is capable of going for 350, 375, and leading you to victory. But if you want to try to slow down Clemson up front, and I still think I still think it makes sense, too, for Georgia to try to play a little defense with its offense and kind of control the clock, control the game. Wouldn't be surprising to me if early on you really see Georgia try to set a physical tone like Orson talked about and get these backs into a rhythm and really try to run the football and kind of make a statement that way the first couple of drives. Yeah, establish it early and often. We've got a lot to get to this week in regards to uh, to Georgia and Clemson. Obviously, it's just day one 
of what we have seems like many. It's probably more like day 45 or more, BJ, of talking Georgia Clemson. But it is on the horizon coming up later this week. We've got more to come with college football now here. We'll give out some preseason superlatives uh, that we think has happened here in 2021 and get you ready for Braves-Dodgers coming up on three and out. All across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett here with you on this Monday. College football is back. We got a lot of football upcoming. We had a little bit of football this past weekend, but we got a lot of football upcoming. We want to hand out some superlatives here, uh, B.J. Bennett, on our own before we get into the meat of the schedule. So here we go. Without further ado, I'll give you a category, and uh, you tell me what, uh, what you got. Coach under the most pressure here now that the uh, the season is upon us. Yeah, you probably could have said Scott Frost, you know, before what happened happened. Uh, but to have them go out in Nebraska and lose to Illinois, that was a pretty difficult start to the season for a team that uh, needs to have some consistent success. And expectations were really high when Scott Frost uh, first came to Nebraska. And understandably, former great player, what he did at UCF, you come in and people are saying, hey, in five, six years, they're going to be a playoff contender and they're going to start you know, winning games, maybe not right away, but in year two and year three. And we just haven't seen that. And you have a new athletic director in at Nebraska now. That's always kind of iffy for, for the returning head coach. But to not really look cohesive in week one and to lose to a team that you're probably more talented than on paper – I think it's Scott Frost. If you want to be fair and go with a coach that hasn't played yet, because I think had Nebraska won, that probably wouldn't have been the direction I'd gone. I think Jim Harbaugh, you know, Michigan is just underwhelmed. And Jim Harbaugh's won some games, but that's the reality of being at Michigan. When you're at Michigan, you're not just expected to go 8-4 and four or 9-3. and three. When you're at Michigan, you're supposed to contend nationally. When you're at Michigan, you're supposed to beat Ohio State. When you're at Michigan, you're supposed to be in the top 10 and be talked about for the college football playoff. And we just have not seen that. So if we see another kind of okay season, I think you're going to see a change at Michigan. Yeah, I, I did say Scott Frost and probably more solidified in that notion. Now that they've I've actually seen him play a game uh, as somebody wrote an article, they're like, if Scott Frost can't make it work at Nebraska, a former player with a lot of, uh, you know, obviously superlatives as a player, high profile uh, guy, one big at some other places, can't make it work at Nebraska. Who can make it work at Nebraska in today's college football? I think there's a lot of pressure for Scott Frost to do something uh, here in 2021. What about a breakout star? Who do you think set up for a, a big season, uh, whether regionally, nationally, what have you? Yeah, you know, I, I really think that there are a couple of different different ways you could go here. Uh, you know, breakout star, like you said, does that mean nationally? Does that mean regionally? Uh, I think Quad Brown at Georgia State, the quarterback, is a, is a player that people around the country are going to start to learn more about. Really productive, really proficient uh, a year ago, uh, big-time playmaker. And you look at Georgia State's schedule, right? You have Army, that's a national spotlight game right away. And you also have a chance to play North Carolina and Auburn. So you'll see Brown take on Sam Howell, uh, Bo Nix, and Georgia State, quietly one of those teams in the Sun Belt you don't want to play. And an opportunity to win some big-time games that would make headlines nationally. I think Quad Brown, the quarterback at Georgia State, and you have really good quarterback play in the Sun Belt. He's a big reason for that. I would say keep an eye on him and the Panthers. I went uh, Jameer Gibbs, uh, BJ. I know you could say breakout season. I think 2020 for a lot of teams, a lot of players, kind of a lost season. And he played on a team that had three wins. But you go back and look at it. The dude played in six games. Six. 
and had over 1,000 all-purpose yards in six games, both in kick returns, passing, and receiving. I think he had just short of 500 yards rushing, 300 yards passing, and over 200 yards in the kick return game. So uh, in six games, over 1,000 all-purpose yards as a true freshman. I think if Georgia Tech wins four or five games and he's able to stay healthy all season, he's going to have a big year, and maybe people start paying attention nationally saying, boy, if he comes back as a well, sophomore, I keep forgetting people have gotten extra years, comes back as a sophomore, going to have a really uh, big year there for, for Georgia Tech. What about uh, impact transfer Who's got the uh, the biggest impact in the transfer game in your estimation? And a lot of lot of big big time stars here. I mean, it's amazing how kind of uh, front and center grad transfers transfers have become in college football. I mean, you can kind of reset your roster in some respects, as we've seen teams do with transfers. I think Tyler Show for me coming from Oregon to Texas Tech, you know they're going to throw the football. Uh, and and what's really interesting is you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily off the top of your head say, oh, a guy that's transferred is going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. But you've seen that, you know, obviously. And there is speculation that if Tyler Show comes into Texas Tech, has a big season, puts up the big numbers you expect out of a quarterback at that school, that he could be the number one overall pick. Uh, the number one overall pick, and at the very least, a first-round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. So Tyler Show goes from being at Oregon, now comes into Texas Tech. Uh, you know, you have video game numbers in that offense sometimes and, you know, played in those Big 12 games where you sometimes have it, what, 57, 54, whatever it is. But this is a guy that's going to get drafted really high. And I've at least seen some reports that he could be considered to be the number one overall pick. Right. I, I said Joe Milton. I think impact transfer because it's at Tennessee, but there were a lot of people that thought maybe he wouldn't even win the job. And he has just been named the starter at Tennessee. And I think – a guy that played at Michigan, has played in big-time football games, probably knows what it takes to go out there and win. I think he's going to help Tennessee. If they do win a handful of games uh, this year, I think people are going to say he might be a big reason because there is a lack of talent or experienced talent all over Tennessee's roster. and He might be a big reason they do win some of the games uh, they do with that hurry-up offense. All right, true freshman. This is going to be interesting because everybody got an extra year. So there's a lot of true freshmen that just may not be able to play because rosters are just – loaded uh, with guys who are still technically freshmen from a year ago. Who's the true freshman you're most excited to see? Well, I think I think keeping it local, what about Cameron Ransom? I mean, Cam Ransom has gotten really, really uh, impressive reviews, and you're talking about a guy that uh, is stepping into a potentially a spotlight position, being the quarterback at Georgia Southern. Well, has the ability to throw the ball? Has he? I was going to interrupt you there for a second because – we have the same answer, so I'll just throw this out there. Georgia Southern put their depth chart out for game one, and he is listed as the, I guess, co-starter. It's uh, Cam Ransom or Sam Kennerson. So he's going to play in week number one. I don't know if he's the official starter out there game one, but that was my answer. I just wanted to fill you in. You're like, I don't know if he's going to – he's going to play. He might even be the starter. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, we'll see. I mean, may not – may not be the starter right away, but but we're going to see him at some point. And, you know, everybody's talked all preseason about, hey, this guy, this guy's ready to play. You know, normally with true freshmen, it's okay. There are some positives. There are some negatives. You expect that. But, you know, big, strong, smart, physical, can throw it, can run it, uh, won a lot of big games in high school. So I think there's great excitement. And you look 
at a offensive backfield where you do have certainly options at quarterback, but you have J.D. King, uh, you know, possibly those two guys running kind of the read option or some some variation of that. I don't know how you prepare for that defensively. And then we've been told he's got a great touch on his downfield throws and, you know, he's really comfortable and effective in the offense. So, yeah, you and I have the same answer there, but it's an obvious one being right here just to, just to see what this young man can do. Well, I mean, like I said, if he can handle the passing game, which is obviously going to be a question when you run a mostly – run option-based offense that Georgia Southern likes to do, if he can do that, BJ, here's what makes you excited about that. Because it's a little bit of the – remember when Paul Johnson was at Georgia Tech? You able you had a bigger, more physical quarterback. It was very difficult to stop. Again, there's no disrespect, but if Justin Tomlin comes back, he may get the starting job back. But Justin Tomlin, 5'11", 190. Sam Kennerson, 5'9", a buck 75. Uh, they are listed on the uh, on the roster. Connor Sigleski, six foot one ninety. Cam Ransom, six three two twenty. That is a load uh, playing quarterback, and he's going to be. I mean, if you're able to lean on people with the quarterback in that option late in games, what a huge potential advantage that could be if he truly has grasped the offense. So, yeah, I'm excited to see. Again, excited doesn't mean he's going to be the the conference player of the year. But if you're not excited about seeing that young man in Statesboro, man, I, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. He's certainly top of my list of a guy I'm really looking forward to see. All right. I'm with you. Finally, game you are looking forward to the most in college football. All right, and I guess it would be a lame answer if I said the game Saturday. I mean, it's so it's so obvious. It's so right there. By the game Saturday, I mean Georgia and Clemson. I mean, we've been talking about it for, for half a year We've gotten great perspective, analysis. Uh, we've chatted with Clemson greats, Georgia greats, as we've done today on the show. We've you know, broken it down from every possible angle. But I really do think in terms of the anticipation and the hype, this is about as good as it gets. And some may counter by saying, oh, well, a game later in the year might have more direct college football playoff implications. Maybe. But I still think you're talking about two top five teams, two teams that have clearly stated their goals as to win their conference, make the playoff, and win the national championship. Two quarterbacks that are Heisman Trophy good, potentially. JT Daniels and DJ Uyunglele. Two defensive lines that literally might be 1-2 in the country in all of college football in terms of their ability. Uh, five stars everywhere. You even have one of Georgia's, we assume, starting cornerbacks just came over from Clemson with uh, Darion Kendrick. So, I mean, there are, there are ties everywhere. I think you're talking about two schools that are separated by like 80 miles. It's a neutral site game. There are some unknowns given that it's a season opener, and I think that adds to some of the intrigue, right, where you're talking about two teams that have spent all offseason, whether they say it or not, focused on one another. And uh, we're, we're so hungry for talking points and storylines in college football that's especially true in week one. Whatever happens, we're going to exaggerate it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to just go crazy with this result. If you want another one, just to not talk Georgia Clemson, I, I think it's Notre Dame Cincinnati. And Notre Dame has preseason top 10 attention for good reason. So does Cincinnati. And if Cincinnati is undefeated in that game, meaning they beat Indiana earlier in the year and they beat Notre Dame, if you're telling me that's not a college football playoff team, you're lying to yourself. And you're lying to me. You're lying to all of us. Cincinnati's got a top 10 team. This is an opportunity to beat a fellow top 10 team on the road on a national stage. So I'm really looking forward to Notre Dame and Cincinnati. I will stick with one that when we asked this question a while back, I had it on there and I still think it's one I'm, I'm very interested 
to watch, and that is in three weeks up in Pennsylvania, Penn State hosting Auburn. And and again, I might eat my words on this, uh, BJ, because this might be a moot point if Wisconsin beats Penn State this weekend. So it may just be, oh, I look like an idiot like normal. But I do think this will give you good insight into what both Penn State and potentially Auburn could do. Auburn goes up there to, uh, to, to, to Penn State and wins. Boy, that's a lot of momentum jumping into SEC play uh, for Auburn as Penn State, I think, top 15, top 10 on a lot of people's lists. Maybe a dark horse to upset Ohio State and win the Big Ten. If Penn State wins, all of that is still in play for them as well, and they will have gotten a big game against an SEC team uh, like Auburn uh, under their belt. So I'm really looking forward to that one. I know it may not be the best game of the college football calendar, but I do think early in the season that is a window game. And we can look at that and say – Boy, this is a good barometer for Penn State. This could be a good barometer for Auburn if they go up uh, to, uh, to Happy Valley and get a dub against, uh, against Penn State early. That, oh, maybe we, under, maybe we undervalued Auburn uh, here in, in the preseason and Brian Harson. So, to me, that's one. September 18th, I'm keeping my eye on. I'm looking Well, and if Auburn – I mean, Kev, if Auburn does win that game, I think they were picked fifth at media days in the West in the SEC – you kind of reevaluate that and go, maybe Auburn's more of a contender out West than we thought. Yeah, I mean, I think you would. I think you would. So there's just some preseason kind of things, superlatives we're looking at here as we get into the big week one uh, opener in college football. We'll come back. Braves starting a seven-game road swing. Feeling good about where they're at here in the National League East with a a very uh, favorable schedule for the most part down the stretch. We've got more to come. It's three and out on Good to have you back here on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, Braves starting a seven-game road swing, but uh, B.J., a great series against the uh, the Giants, four and a half games up. You're not in total comfort zone at this point ahead of the Phillies, but you're seven and a half ahead of the Mets with a month to go uh, in the season. Four and a half up with the Phillies. You have 32 games left, uh, B.J. I went and did, depending on what you think about the Mets, they're seven and a half out. They have not played great baseball in basically a month. So you throw that in there, throw the three games with the Mets into this, what I'm about to say, out of your last 32 games, you have 20 against teams that are probably not going to the playoffs. The Mets, Nationals, Marlins, uh, you have seven with Colorado, the Arizona Diamondbacks in there. Very favorable schedule with just 12 games against uh, winning teams, thinking about the playoffs, 20 of your last 32 against well, the Mets are four games under 500. So 20 of your last 32 against losing teams on your schedule. Just win series. I think as long as you do that, and we saw Atlanta really look like a playoff team against uh, against the uh, Giants over the weekend. If you win series, you're going to be in the playoffs. You're going to win this division. And you're seeing the the, the starting pitching really step up. Uh, you're seeing offensively just just incredible production. Maybe a question or two still about the bullpen. It got interesting with Will Smith last Friday night. But, I mean, that is what it is at this point. I think you should feel confident. I think you should feel like you are a playoff team. You're right. A four-and-a-half game lead is not a, not an eight-and-a-half game lead. But you feel like you have control of this division right now, and it's yours to lose. It's right there. Now, uh, do I feel like tonight is a lot for a dub? No. You're playing the Dodgers and Drew Smiley's on the mound. But, again, there's not that that overwhelming pressure, Kevin, where it's like you better win tonight or you're going to see some movement in the standings. No. And, listen, Philadelphia is playing, playing the Nats. Uh, you know, the Nats are not very good right now. But at the end of the day, win series, and you had a great showing over the weekend. You have momentum. You have some positive traction. 
this team's going to be in the playoffs. Go out there, take care of business, and you'll be in the playoffs. Yeah, I feel like just don't let the Dodgers give you a lot of negative momentum. If you can just go out there and win, even if it's a one, if you take two out of three, that'd be great. If Even if you just win one and don't just go out there and get rocked for three games, I feel like that's still moving in the right. I mean, this team is playing lights out baseball. We saw Enoa, Ian Anderson come back. Anderson pitched tremendously well. And, uh, and BJ, we start looking at this time of year. Obviously, you can't think this way yet, but in the back of your mind, you're Brian Snicker. It's going to say September in two days. Are you looking at Freed, Morton, Anderson? Are they definitely your top three? Are you starting Charlie Morton game one of a playoff series? What's kind of your thought process as you start to look just a little bit here at September? Right now for me, if you're saying I have to have a three-man rotation for the playoffs, I would start Charlie Morton game one. I would start Max Freed game two. I would start Ian Anderson, who looked great yesterday in game three. And I would feel really good about it. And and you still have Waskari Noah out there. Maybe you could, you know, figure something out there. But I would feel really good about those three, even those four, to include Enoa. Uh, and I think that's what I'd go with. That's I, the, all, all four of those guys have been pitching really well lately. And that's a winning combination. Certainly Braves and Dodgers tonight. Late night. So for all of you like BJ and myself who not start getting a little uh, heavy eyelids, uh, they're about 930 or so. Game doesn't first pitch till 10. We'll have free game coverage for you coming up at 8.55 uh, right here uh, this evening. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. If you missed any portion of today's show, ESPNCoastal.com. Go to our YouTube channel at ESPN Coastal. We'll see you tomorrow here on 3 and Out.